0: Section twenty three of From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recorded by Helen J. Jacobs in May 2014, Leicestershire, England. From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse. Edited by Olive Beaupré-Miller, Richard Feverel and the Hayrick by George Meredith. Part 2. As soon as they could escape, the boys got away together, to an obscure corner of the park, and there took counsel. "'Whatever shall we do now?' asked Gripton of his leader." Scorpion girt with fire was never in a more terrible prison than poor Ripton, around whom the raging element he had assisted to create seemed to be drawing momentarily narrower circles. There's only one chance, said Richard, folding his arms resolutely. We must rescue that fellow from jail. We must manage to get a file into him and a rope austin wentworth had the reputation of being the poor man's friend he went straight to tom bakewell in jail and engaged in man-to-man conversation with him like a gentleman and a christian when he rose to go tom begged permission to shake his hand and said take and tell young master up at the abbey that i ain't the chap to peach "'He'll understand. He's a young gentleman, as I'll make any man do as he wants em. "'But I ain't a blackguard. Tell him that, sir.' "'Austin was not clever like Adrian. He always went the direct road to his object. "'So instead of beating about the bush with the boys and setting them on the alert, "'crammed to the muzzle with lies,' He came straight out and said, "'Tom Bakewell told me to let you know he does not intend to peach on you,' and left them. Richard repeated the intelligence to Ripton, who cried aloud that Tom was a brick. "'He shan't suffer for it,' said Richard. The boys had examined the outer walls of the jail and arrived at the conclusion That Tom's escape might be managed if Tom had spirit, and the rope and file could by any means be got to him. But to do this, somebody must gain admittance to his cell. The boys decided to ask Austin Wentworth to do this. Ripton procured the file at one shop in Bursley, and Richard the rope at another with such masterly cunning did they lay their measures for the avoidance of every possible chance of detection and better to assure this in a wood outside bursley richard stripped to his shirt and wound the rope round his body it was a severe stroke when after all their stratagem and trouble austin wentworth refused the office the boys had designed for him Time pressed. In a few days, poor Tom would have to face the redoubtable smiles and get committed, for there were rumours of overwhelming evidence to convict him, and Farmer Blaze's wrath was unappeasable. Again and again, Richard begged his cousin to help him in this extremity. Austin smiled on him. My dear Ricky, he said, there are two ways of getting out of a scrape a long way and a short way when you've tried the roundabout method and failed come to me and i'll show you the straight route richard was too entirely bent upon the roundabout method to consider the advice more than empty words and only ground his teeth at austin's refusal he told Ripton that they must do it themselves, to which Ripton heavily assented. On the day preceding poor Tom's doomed appearance before the magistrate, the two boys entered the small shop of Dame Bakewell, Tom's mother. There they desperately purchased tea, sugar, candles, and comfits of every description. As an excuse for their presence, and until the shop was empty of customers, they then hurried Dame Bakewell into her little back parlour, where Richard tore open his shirt and revealed the coils of rope, and Ripton displayed the file. They told the astonished woman that the rope and the file were instruments to free her son, and that there existed no other means on earth to save him. Richard, with the utmost earnestness, tried to persuade Dame Bakewell to disrobe and wind the rope around her own person, and Ripton sought eloquently to induce her to secrete the file. Dame Bakewell resolutely objected to the rope, but she was at length persuaded, though much against her will, to accept the file this she carried secretly to her son tom however turned up his nose at the file and refused to try to make an escape at this news richard was in despair moreover just now ripton was sent for to go home to london and richard was left to face the whole matter alone when affairs were at this pass Austin Wentworth went to consult with Adrian, but Adrian was not concerned about how the course Richard was pursuing would work out for the good or evil in the boy's own mind and heart. He was anxious only to keep them all free from the action of the law, and he threw out the hint to Austin that he had already fixed matters up by means of a little secret dealing with the farmer's chief witness, so that there was no danger of anyone's being punished for the crime. This by no means satisfied Austin. He was concerned less that Richard should escape punishment than that he should act like a man. A little laurel-shaped temple of white marble looked out on the river, from a knoll bordering the rain and beech woods, and was dubbed by Adrian, Daphne's Bower. To this spot Richard had retired, and there Austin found him, with his head buried in his hands, a picture of desperation, whose last shift had been defeated. "'Well, Ricky, have you tried your own way of rectifying this business?' asked Austin." I have done everything, and failed. There was a pause. Then Richard tried to evade the responsibility. Failed because Tom Bakewell's a coward. I suppose, poor fellow, said Austin in his kind way, he doesn't want to get into a deeper mess. I don't think he's a coward. He is a coward, cried Richard. Do you think if I had a file, I would stay in prison? ''I'd be out the first night. He's a coward and he deserves his fate. I've no compassion for a coward.'' ''Nor I much,'' said Austin. ''I've never met a coward myself, but I've heard of one or two. One let an innocent man die for a crime he himself had committed.'' ''How base!'' exclaimed the boy. ''Yes, it was bad,'' Austin agreed.'' I have read also in the confessions of a celebrated philosopher that in his youth he committed some petty theft and then accused a young servant girl of his own crime, permitting her to be condemned and dismissed. What a coward, shouted Richard, and he confessed it. You may read it yourself. Would you have done so much? Richard faltered. No, he admitted that he could never have told people. Then who is it to call that man a coward? said Austin. He paid the penalty for the wrong he had done, as all who give way in moments of weakness and are not cowards must do. The coward chooses to think, God does not see, I shall escape. He who is not a coward... But has done wrong, knows that God has seen all, and it is not so hard a task for him to make his heart bare to the world. Worse, I should fancy it, to know myself an impostor when men praised me. Richard suddenly hung his head. So I think you're wrong, Ricky, in calling this poor fellow Tom a coward because he refuses to try your means of escape he has not acted like a coward in refusing to tell on you richard was dumb if he avowed tom's manly behaviour then he would have to see richard feverell in a new light whereas by insisting that tom was a coward richard feverell was the injured one and in no way to blame austin had but a blind notion of the fierceness with which the conflict raged in young Richard. But happily Richard's nature wanted little more than an indication of the proper track, and then he said in a subdued voice, Tell me what I can do, Austin. Austin put his hand on the boy's shoulder. You must go down to Farmer Blaze. You will know what to say to him when you are standing there before him. The boy bit his lip and frowned. Ask a favour of that big brute. Austin, I can't. Just tell him the whole truth. But, Austin, the boy pleaded, I shall have to ask a favour of him. I shall have to beg him to help off Tom Bakewell. How can I ask a favour of a brute I hate? I shall hardly be able to keep my hands off him. ''Surely you've punished him enough, boy,'' said Austin. ''He struck me,'' Richard's lip quivered. ''But you poached on his grounds. I'll pay him for his loss, but I won't ask a favour of him.'' Austin looked at the boy steadily. ''You prefer to receive a favour from poor Tom Bakewell?'' To save yourself an unpleasantness, you permit a country lad to sacrifice himself for you. I confess I should not have so much pride. Pride, shouted Richard, stung by the taunt, and set his sight hard at the blue ridges of the hills. Not knowing for the moment what else to do, Austin drew a picture of Tom in prison. Visions of a grinning lout unkempt, coarse, rose before Richard and afflicted him with the strangest sensations of disgust and comicality, mixed up with pity and remorse, a sort of twisted pathos. There lay Tom, hobnailed Tom, a bacon-munching, reckless, beer-swilling animal, and yet a man, capable of devotion and unselfishness, the boy's better spirit was touched, and it kindled his imagination to realise the abject figure of poor clodpole Tom, and surrounded it with a halo of mournful light. His soul was alive. Feelings he had never known streamed in upon him, an unwonted tenderness, an embracing humour, a consciousness of some ineffable glory. Toward Clubpole Tom, he felt just then a loving kindness beyond what he felt for any living creature. He laughed at him and wept over him. He prized him while he shrank from him. It was a genial strife of the angel in him with constituents less divine. But the angel was uppermost and won the day. Austin sat by the boy, unaware of the tumult he had stirred. Little of it was perceptible in Richard's countenance. Finally he jumped up, saying, I'll go at once to old Blaze and tell him. Austin grasped his hand, and together they issued out of Daphne's bower. Farmer Blaze was not so astonished at the visit of "'Richard Feveril, as that young gentleman had expected him to be. "'The farmer, seated in his easy chair, "'in the little low-roofed parlour of an old-fashioned farmhouse, "'with a long clay pipe on the table at his elbow, "'and a veteran pointer at his feet, "'had already given audience to Sir Austin Feveril himself, "'who came to him secretly and frankly confessed the whole matter.' Thereupon, Farmer Blaze had decided that he would only give up the prosecution in exchange for £300 of compensation to his pocket, a spoken apology from the prime offender, Master Richard, and a solemn promise that no one should try to bribe his witness to change their testimony. Sir Austin had readily promised him full indemnity in money for his loss, A satisfactory apology from his son, and the assurance that no one would tamper with his witnesses. Richard was received by a pretty little girl, with the roses of thirteen springs in her cheeks, and abundant beautiful bright tresses. She tripped before the boy and led him to the parlour, loitering shyly by the farmer's armchair to steal a look at the handsome newcomer. She was introduced to Richard as the farmer's niece, Lucy Despera, and Farmer Blaze said much in her praise, laughing and chuckling, perhaps intending thus to give his visitor time to recover his composure. His diversion only irritated and confused our shame-eaten youth. Richard's intention had been to come to the farmer's threshold, to summon the farmer thither, and, in a loud and haughty tone, then and there, to take upon himself the whole burden of the charge against Tom Bakewell, Farmer Blaze was quite at his ease, nowise in a hurry. He spoke of the weather and the harvest. Richard blinked hard in a moment of silence. he cried, "Mr. Blaze." I have come to tell you that I am the person who set fire to your rick the other night. An odd contraction formed about the farmer's mouth. He changed his posture and said, Aye, that's what you've come to tell me, sir. Then, my lad, you've come to tell me a lie. You dare to call me a liar? Cried Richard, starting up with a clenched fist. You have twice insulted me. I would have apologised to have got off that fellow in prison. I would have degraded myself that another man should not suffer for my deed, and you take this opportunity of insulting me afresh. You're a coward, sir. Nobody but a coward would have insulted me in his own house. Sit ye down. Sit ye down, young master, said the farmer. Don't ye be hasty. If ye hadn't been hasty to the day, we should have been friends. I should be sorry to reckon you out a liar. What I say is that as you say, ain't the truth. Richard angrily reseated himself. The farmer spoke sense, and the boy, after his late interview with Austin, had become capable of perceiving vaguely. That a towering passion hardly justifies one in pursuing a wrong course of conduct. Come, continued the farmer, not unkindly. What else have you to say? The boy blinked. This was a bitter cup for him to drink. I came to say that I regretted the revenge I had taken on you for you striking me. You shall be repaid your loss, and I should be very much obliged, very much obliged, he stammered, if you would be so kind. Fancy a feverel asking this big brute to be so kind. So kind as to do me the favour, to exert yourself, to endeavour to, hem, there's no saying it. What I want to ask is whether you would have the kindness. "'Well, then I want you, Mr. Blaze, if you don't mind. "'Will you help me to get this man Bakewell off his punishment?' "'To do Farmer Blaze justice, he waited very patiently for the boy. "'Hum,' he said. "'But if you did it, you know, and Tom's innocent, "'we shan't make him out guilty. "'Do you still hold to it, you set fire to the rick?' The blame is mine, quoth Richard with the loftiness of a patriot of old Rome. Now, now, the straightforward farmer put him aside. Ye did do it, or ye didn't do it. Yes or no. Thrust into a corner, Richard said, I did it. Farmer Blaze reached his hand to the bell. It was answered in an instant by little lucy who received orders to fetch in a dependent at belthorpe going by the name of the bantam now said the farmer these be my principles i am a plain man mr Feverel. be above board with me and you'll find me handsome be underhand and i'm an ugly customer i'll show you i've no animosity your father pays you apologise That's enough for me. But the bantam saw what happened to the night. It's no use denying that evidence. Just then, Miss Lucy ushered in the bantam. In build of body, gait and stature, Giles Jinkson, the bantam, was a tolerably fair representative of the elephant. He had been the first to give the clue at Belthorpe. On the night of the conflagration, and he may, therefore, have seen poor Tom retreating stealthily from the scene, as he said he did. Leastwise, he was the farmer's principal witness. There he stood, and tugged his forelocks to the company. Now, said the farmer, with the utmost confidence, tell this young gentleman what ye saw on the night of the fire, bantam the bantam jerked a bit of a bow to his patron and then swung around fully shutting off all view of the farmer from richard richard fixed his eyes on the floor while the bantam told his story but when the recital reached the point where the bantam affirmed he had seen tom bakewell with his own eyes Richard was amazed to find himself being mutely addressed by a series of intensely significant grimaces, signs and winks. "'What do you mean? Why are you making those faces at me?' cried the boy indignantly. "'Bain't making no faces at nobody!' growled the sulky elephant. "'You never saw Tom Bakewell set fire to that, Rick.' How could you see who it was on a pitch-dark night? The suborned elephant was staggered. He had meant to telegraph to the young gentleman that he was loyal and true to certain gold pieces that had been given him, and that in the right place and at the right time he should prove so. I thought I'd seen em then, muttered the bantam. Thought, the farmer bellowed. Thought? devil take ye ye took your oath on it say what ye saw and none of your thoughts thinking ain't evidence ye saw tom bakewell fire that there rick you're a witness damn your thoughts the adjured the bantam hitched his breeches what on earth the young gentleman meant by making public his private signals he was at a loss to speculate He determined at length, after much ploughing and harrowing through obstinate shocks of hair, not to, to be altogether positive as to the person he had seen. It is possible that he became thereby more truthful than he had previously been, for the night had been so dark that you could not see your hand before your face. The party he had taken for Tom Bakewell, he said, might have been the young gentleman present. He could not swear which it was. But you swore it to, Tom Bakewell, the farmer roared. No, said the bantam, with a twitch of the shoulder and an angular jerk of the elbow. Not upon oath. A cunning distinction, that between swearing and not swearing upon oath no sooner had the bantam ceased than farmer blaze jumped up from his chair and made a fine effort to lift him out of the room from the point of his toe richard would have preferred not to laugh but his dignity gave way and he let fly a shout they're liars everyone cried the farmer now look ye here mr feverell you've been a tampering with my witness it's no use denying i say ye have sir The bantam's been bribed, and he shivered his pipe with an energetic thump on the table. He's been corrupted, my principal witness. Oh, it's damn cunning, but it won't do the trick. I'll transport Tom Bakewell, now sure as a gun. Sorry you haven't seen how to treat me, square and honest. I'd had excused you, sir. You're a boy, and I'll learn better but you've bribed my witness now you must stand your luck all ye i will have the truth richard stood up and replied very well mr blaze i believe your father went on the farmer what cried richard with astonishment you have seen my father my father knows of this farmer blaze pulled the bell "'Company the young gentleman out, Lucy,' he waved to the little damsel in the doorway. "'And, Mr. Richard, you might have made a friend of me, sir, and it's not too late so to do. "'I'm not cruel, but I hate lies. "'Now, if you'll come down to me and speak the truth before the trial, "'if it's only five minutes before, or if Sir Austin, who's a gentleman,' i'll say there's been no bribe in my witness if he'll give his word for it well and good i'll do my best to help off tom bakewell if not i'll see the fellow transported good afternoon sir richard marched hastily out of the room and through the garden never so much as deigning a glance at his wistful little guide who hung at the garden gate to watch him up the lane "'wondering the world of fancies about the handsome, proud boy. "'To have determined upon an act something akin to heroism, "'and to have fulfilled it by lying heartily, "'seems a sad downfall. "'But good seed is long ripening. "'A good boy is not made in a minute. "'Enough that the seed was in him.' "'Richard chafed on his road to Raynham, at the scene he had just endured and the figure of belthorpe's fat tenant burning like a hot copper on the tablet of his brain insufferably condescending and what was worse in the right after dinner that evening richard and his father were alone for the first time it was a strange meeting they seemed to have been separated so long the father took his son's hand They sat without a word passing between them. Silence said most. That pressure of his father's hand was eloquent to the boy of how warmly he was beloved. He tried once or twice to steal his hand away, conscious it was melting him. The spirit of his pride and old rebellion whispered him to be hard, unbending, resolute hard he had entered his father's study hard he had met his father's eyes he could not meet them now by degrees an emotion awoke in the boy's bosom love is that blessed wand with which wins the waters from the hardness of the heart richard fought against it for the dignity of old rebellion the tears would come hot and struggling over the dams of pride Shamefully fast they began to fall. He could no longer conceal them or check the sobs. Sir Austin drew nearer. Sir Austin drew him nearer and nearer till the beloved head was on his breast. An hour afterwards, Adrian Harley, Austin Wentworth, and Algernon Feverel were summoned to the baronet's study. Young Richard's red eyes and the baronet's ruffled demeanour told them that an explanation had taken place and a reconciliation. That was well. A general council was held. Slowly there was drawn from Richard the tale of his recent visit to the farmer and the ridiculous collapse of the bantam's testimony, which part of the story caused Adrian to choke with laughter. But Richard was also told of the farmer's belief that the bantam had been bribed and the sudden return of his vindictive determination to have Tom transported. Adrian made a very persuasive plea that the Feverell family should now drop the whole matter. Tom Bakewell would not peach on Richard, and it was most unlikely that the boy would be drawn into the affair. He argued well, but the basis of his plea being to do the expedient thing, the thing that was easiest, regardless of what was right. Sir Austin answered him Expediency is man's wisdom, Adrian. Doing right is God's and he rose and left the room, saying he would pay a second visit to Belthorpe and attempt to straighten out the matter. "'Richard saw his father go forth. "'Then he said slowly, "'Blaze told me that if my father would give his word "'there had been no tampering with his witness, "'he would believe him and drop the whole matter. "'My father will give his word.' "'Adrian was ill at ease. "'Then you had better stop him from going,' he said. "'A moment Richard lingered.' In his heart, he knew Adrian had bribed the bantam to change his testimony. He knew his father never even dreamed of such a thing. If he let him go, his father, who was honour's self, would all unknowingly swear to a lie. It would be easy, so easy. His father would simply give his word, and then Farmer Blaze would drop the whole matter. He, Richard would never have to swallow his pride again and tell the whole truth but his father would swear to a lie sir austin was in the lane leading to the farm when he heard the steps of someone running behind him it was dark and he shook off the hand that laid hold of his coat not recognising his son it's i sir said richard panting you mustn't go in there why not said the baronet putting his arm about him not now continued the boy i will tell you all tonight i must see the farmer myself it was my fault sir i lied to him the liar must eat his lie oh forgive me for disgracing you sir i did it i hope i did it to save tom bakewell let me go in alone and speak the truth go and i will wait for you here said his father the wind that bowed the old elms and shivered the dead leaves in the air had a voice and a meaning for the baronet during that half hour's lonely pacing up and down under the darkness awaiting his boy's return the solemn gladness of his heart gave nature a tongue through the desolation flying overhead his heart was newly confirmed in its belief in the ultimate victory of good within us and so after all his twistings and turnings richard took one straight course and told the truth the upshot of the whole matter was that tom was not convicted he was set free And Sir Austin took him into his own employ, where Richard had plenty of opportunity to urge him on to better things than burning ricks. As to Richard himself, he felt he had had a sorry enough experience of what comes from giving way to passion. He wrote his thoughts on the matter to his old friend and accomplice, Rip, who had been paying the penalty For his share of the crime by suffering the gravest mental terrors living in constant fear lest he should be found out and have to flee to america as the only means of starting life afresh as an innocent gentleman and it was necessary for richard to order adrian not to call him by his old nickname ricky any more for that redoubtable tease took to stopping short at the word Rick, which, needless to say, was not a word with which Richard chose to be associated. End of section